everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion for our Black Voices Matter series. I am joined by my co-hosts as usual, Yubi and Mike. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Thank you, Nina. Yeah, doing pretty good. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, so we're excited to have our guests today. We've already been jumping into great conversations. We've had to cut them short so the rest of our audience can join in on this, but we're excited to have Danielle Sheets join us today. She's the Chief Financial Officer of the Colorado Trust and the Founder CEO of the Daily Boss Lab. Danielle, uh, welcome. And first question we'd like to ask our guests is how, how are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. And that is <laughs> one of the hardest questions to answer in the last four months whenever anybody asks me that. So, you know, in a five minute period, I'm happy, hopeful, sad, scared. It's definitely been like a roller coaster um, the past four or five months of emotions of feeling all the things every day uh, with everything that's going on in our environment and in our world. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are, are going through that right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what a great place for us to start is um, to hear a little bit about your background. I mean, uh, I don't want to put any words in your mouth because the story you tell of your background is, is absolutely amazing. And so I want our audience to know the context of kind of your journey. Um, so then we can dive into all the great questions we have for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, from a career perspective, I uh, have a finance background. I've been um, an executive for a really long time. I became a the chief financial officer for the first time at the uh, local public health department here in Colorado uh, when I was 26 years old. So um, really young, the youngest uh, CFO in, in any state department's history. And um, so have been learning about leadership and uh, uh, managing folks and being often the only in the room for so such a chunk of my life. Um, but that actually started long before I became an executive. It started when I had my son, Kai, when I was 16 years old. Um, and so being the only or the youngest or being othered um, has started really early for me in life, um, being a teen mom and, and, and raising Kai and um, sort of us maneuvering through this world in a way that uh, we often, you know, were each other's best friends, but felt very much alone and isolated and like you didn't belong. I, I often felt like I didn't belong, you know, in any room I was in just being um, the youngest mom and, and carrying a lot of shame around that, uh, that I really had to work through in order to be a better leader once I got into my career. Um, and I've been across uh, several industries, corporate America, uh, the government, I started in nonprofits when I was still in college. Um, and now I work for a private foundation that does philanthropic work um, in, in Colorado, as well as two years ago, started my own business, which is about leadership development. Um, and it's a digital startup for us to get um, leadership in life uh, coaching out to folks uh, via their phone where they are these days. <laughs> I, uh, Danielle, thank you again. This is Mike Cass. I'm so excited to have you on. There's so much of your, like, like, I feel like what you're doing, the impact that you're making today, whether it's with your own organization, uh, with the coaching, uh, with your foundation, I feel like so much of it is like because of your lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, can, uh, and I, um, I, I, I just you sharing about being a young mom, but I'd, I'd love for you to uh, talk about how some of those experiences really led you to what you're doing today and the impact that you're making. Um, 
you, you know, really within the foundation space specifically, but your organization as well, please. Yeah, you know, um, so much of what I do is because I learned it the hard way or I didn't have someone to help me um, or because I was the only person in the room feeling deeply isolated, um, whether it was I was the youngest or the only female or the only black female. I mean, I'm in, I'm in finance and uh, to be an executive in finance or to be in finance all, at all and be a person of color is um, very rare. And I think there's reasons for that um, rooted in our systemic racism that you know I'm happy to share, but you're right. Like my lived experience drives the way I lead. It drives um, the strategies and the impact I wanna have in my space. And I always say like sort of every day of my life is a protest um, uh, because I'm getting up and, and walking into these systems that weren't built for me. Um, and, and doing my best to change them uh, from the inside out, doing my best to change myself, to know myself um, and to bring others with me. You know, in the organization, the, the Colorado Trust, we Health Equity Foundation, which is not health care, it's health equity. And um, that's deeply rooted in the social determinants of health, which um, your education, whether you graduate from high school or not, is actually the number one determinant of uh, whether you will live uh, a long healthy life or not so things like your race um, your uh, economic status your education levels all of those intertwined demographics of our systems actually determine your health outcomes um, even more than what you eat or, or drink or uh, how much you exercise every day and so that's the work we do which is this broad work I, I join this organization because of the work they do and the way they do it because I believe uh, philanthropy is one of the systems that is the most deeply rooted in white supremacy. Um, uh, philanthropic foundations began uh, as tax shelters, if we're being quite honest, for families and um, then regulations were put in place to ensure that there were dollars going into the community, that there were charitable, there was actual charitable work happening. But that was often driven by a bunch of people who uh, uh, are very wealthy sitting around a table making decisions for communities that they've never been to or have never experienced um, personally. And I think that's why there's been so much money dumped into philanthropy. And um, unfortunately in this country, we haven't moved the needle on poverty much at all. Um, and so for me, it was about, I'm not gonna do philanthropy if we're gonna do it in the way we all, you know, everyone does it. And I'm so proud to be at the Colorado Trust um, long before me. Um, they had already changed uh, their model to be a community organizing model for philanthropy, meaning we do very few um, grant programs where we release RFPs or anything like that. We um, build relationship in community with our own staff and allow resident teams to tell us what needs to be funded in the health equity space within those communities. We're all across the state of Colorado. Um, we listened to residents. We did um, about three and a half million dollars in COVID response that was completely driven by community. And we had some communities where the digital divide, access to laptops and the internet was the major issue. Kids couldn't do anything when they got sent home from school. And we had other communities where um, there was no moratorium on rent. And they were telling us we need direct cash assistance for rent. And we listened and we quickly put dollars into community. And I think that's the way uh, to do philanthropy, trust-based philanthropy, stop telling people uh, what they need. Um, our 
sort of reliance on <laughs> uh, on thinking that because people are living in poverty that that has something to do with them knowing what they need or um, not being intelligent enough to explain how to fix it. Uh, so I think that we are doing some pretty um, groundbreaking work at the Colorado Trust. I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. And the Daily Boss Up I started because, uh, you know, I didn't get any coaching as a leader until I had a team of 30. Um, and I was the youngest and I was the only black person in the leadership team. And I was just every day feeling so isolated and um, getting, not looking around and seeing anyone where I can say, how does it feel for you? And am I alone? And am I crazy? And I really wanted to start, um, you know, sort of helping folks way sooner in their career with sort of the inspirations and the coachings and the lessons and um, journal prompts so that you're journaling through your career and really what to talk to people about, how to get the right feedback. Um, and so that's why I started the Daily Boss Up is, you know, an affordable subscription-based um, business so that folks could really be investing in themselves uh, much earlier in their career before they felt like they were, you know, flailing like I did uh, at 26. It took me so long to understand what leadership was and to understand the importance of self-work um, in order to be a good leader, in order to just survive often in the systems. And so that's why I started that business. All of it is based in what I believe to be uh, broken in some of our systems and, and my role in hopefully helping to fix that and the lessons I learned the hard way and the lessons I learned the right way that I hope to share. There is so much in everything you just said right there. Like I hope people go back and listen to just what you just talked about over and over again, because <laughs> there's so many things, right? Like you talk about money yeah. and, you know, I think when people give money in a philanthropic way or donate or whatever, you know, it, it's there, there's this feeling of, you know, like, oh, I did a good thing or it makes you feel better. But in, in actuality, that discussion about money and access, people don't understand that people in the black community and, and we were talking about this in terms of numbers, which we can definitely throw out there, but like people, um, what is it? Uh, black women are, you know, starting the most businesses. Right. But, but in, in you even said this, you spent your own money to start your own business, right? Like right. there wasn't any money you could go out and get for you. Like there, nobody. And, and, from a VC standpoint, when you talk about organizations, right, then the, the numbers are ridiculously small in terms of people of color founded businesses getting money versus white people founded yeah. companies. You know, I believe women of color are starting 89% of every business that, that is being started every day. I think there's a lot of reasons for that that we could get into. Um, but they're receiving less than 1% of any uh, venture capitalist funds or, you know, it, it's almost non-existent for a black woman to receive VC funding in this country. And it's in the philanthropic space, it's in the startup space, it's in the corporate space. The message we're sending to, to black women is, um, we know that you work really, really hard. We appreciate how strong you are, um, but we're not going to trust you with money. And that is a horrible message. Uh, it's a traumatic message to receive. And then when something like COVID happens, what we've done is set up these businesses to not be able to survive. And then we start over without any capital um, 
you know, folks are making it day by day, trying to get to, you know, six figures of revenue with their own small businesses, and then something like a COVID hits, and there's just no coming back from that. And I think that that is an important thing to remember. It's, it's uh, the access to capital for Black people in this country um, has always been abysmal and is um, abysmal today. <laughs> yeah, and I think that like one of the things that we don't talk about enough is, is that trauma that Black people and Black women in particular are, are experiencing in the workplace, right? And right. about what Black people have to walk into every day, not just when it comes to starting their own businesses, but just, you know, going to work. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that, like your personal experiences with that, what that meant for you when you're walking to these executive rooms? Um, but, you know, what, what are those experiences like and what do people need to know about that in the background of it? Yeah, you know, a recent NBC News poll said that 50% of Black women are considering leaving their corporate job right now. Um, and that that explains why so many are starting their own businesses too. You know, I don't think it's that black women don't want to be in corporate America. I think that it, it's traumatic um, to be in these industries. And, and it has been traumatic for me. Um, just ask my uh, trauma therapist uh, about that because I actually do go to therapy around it because, you know, we all as humans suffer from imposter syndrome. So I that's not specific to being a woman of color or a black woman or a person of color. It, um, but what I always try to describe this as is, you know, every human wants to belong. It's our deepest need is to belong and to be attached. There's so much science around attachment and belonging for humans. We're born to belong. We want to, we want to be attached. We want to, you know, that's why we're in relationships, all of the things that we do. Um, and then you go to work and immediately when you walk into a room, you don't belong. So there's the first indication that you are othered. You are, one of these things is different from the other, right? <laughs> That's how you feel walking into these rooms. So that's the initial sort of hit to your confidence is like, whoa, do I, like, do I belong here? Like, I, I'm nervous. And then you start to talk. And because you are different, like you're just a walking, talking representation of being different the chances of um, it being pointed out to you how different you are, um, how othered you are is high. And so you have folks in these environments that were not built for them every single day trying to belong to the systems. One of the phrases I hate most in corporate America is culture fit. And it's often used um, in performance against uh, uh, persons of color, but I've especially seen it used against black women. Well, she's just not a culture fit. And um, I, you know, I hope that we're um, moving in a direction where we are going to meet people where they are instead of asking them to conform to culture, which in this country, culture was built, especially corporate culture was built for white men. And so of course we're not culture fits. It wasn't, we were, we were set up to not be culture fits. And so to come in that environment and have to adjust every day, you have to think about the level of inauthenticity it takes sometimes to just get through the day. And inauthenticity is um, exhausting and it causes folks trauma and it makes them question themselves in ways that they shouldn't question themselves. And I say, like we're all, all of our capacity, all of our energy is just a circle, right? Like it's not um, infinite, it's finite. Um, and some of us have a lot of energy, I have a ton of energy, I can get a lot done and some of us have less energy, but it's all still finite. And you know, if I'm taking up so much of my energy before I walk into a room worried about oh man, should I wear a dress or this black pantsuit 
to be taken seriously. And, oh, I can't wear my hair curly um, as a black woman. So let me go ahead and straighten that so I can be taken seriously. And then be like, oh, let me take these five words out of my speech because I don't want that to come off as too aggressive or angry. And, you know, people like to call us aggressive and angry. When, I, when I've used up <laughs> that much of my energy before I even get in the room, I'm not my best. And so there's so many days where you feel like, I wish I could just go to work and do my job and not have to worry about all these other things and, and how to belong um, in environments that I just don't even relate to, obviously, because I'm a black woman and these aren't systems that were built for us. And we have to accept that in our country without um, taking on so much guilt related to it. It just is, it just is the truth. And the only way to fix that is to, to recognize that it's the case. So I, I want to thank for, for like, I, I, we're talking about this um, before we got on air and I, I just want to thank you publicly because as, as the, you know, token blind guy, and I've, I've said it almost like, almost like a badge of honor, but I, I never like recognized internally what that meant. Um, Cause even though I'm a white male and, and as, as a blind person, again, I, I felt very much tokenism um my entire career like I was not right. you know I was never part of the system but it, it was your conversation Danielle that got me to think like wow and yeah that's you know and we're just we're, we're supposed to just add it up to another you know uh suck it up right like it just and 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 yet you know that's that's our kind of baggage to 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 carry and I just wanted to thank you for like I um yeah to be able to look inside and be able to say yeah and 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 yeah suck it up but that that's that's really that's really difficult and it's okay for us to say it's really difficult being that other person and um so thank you because i never looked at it that way so i wanted to first of all say thank you um i i want to like so the coaching that you do again for your business um I, I want to hear more of like how it is that you take your lived experiences and impart some of uh, um, this wisdom, this, this lived experience um, onto others. And, you know, um, let, let's hear some amazing results that you're giving out there. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate you saying it because I think um, another piece of the system when you're the only is that it's often celebrated and it's not anything any of us, you know, should be proud of, uh, I'm, you know, we should all be proud when, when we break open a barrier or we bust through a ceiling that was made. Yes, I'm very proud of those accomplishments, but I don't want to stay there, right? Um, and and it's me you almost feel like you're meant to be grateful um, for something that you earned. I think that's what we mean by tokenism is that like, it's not earned. So that, that's why um, that word is hard because um, you earned it. It has nothing to do with being the only of anything in a room, but we are meant to sort of be like, well, like you're here. Like, what could you possibly have to complain about in these systems? You're here. Like you made it. Um, and that's something I run from um, significantly. And I, I tell, I often coach people to be like, when you have one of those leaders, if they are the only black person in the room and they want to stay that way, you're going to be in trouble. Like run from that person. We should be bringing um, each other to the table, we should be deeply dissatisfied with these statistics, even if that means for us, we're seen as well accomplished. Um, I don't want my daughter to be the only, and, and that would be a failure for me if she is in, in 10 or 15 years from now. So I appreciate you saying that. 
um, uh, Mike, it's you're celebrated for the thing that also feels really traumatic at times. And so that can be very tight and pull, pull you in two directions. Um, and, you know, I, I have, I'm so grateful because the one practice I've had my whole life is journaling. And so I've journaled my entire career. I've journaled since I was 15. And, and that's where my coaching comes from is the conversations I had with myself. It's like looking back at, you know, the first time I had to, to fire somebody, the first time I got a piece of um, racist feedback, the first time that I got sexist feedback, uh, the first time something really hard happened uh, to me around people spreading rumors saying I was uh, uh, sleeping with a superior in order to get promoted. I mean, it, you name it, I've been through it, and it, which is really sad to say since I've <laughs> um, been, you know, been in this career less than 15 years, but um, I have it all written down. And I, I'm someone that has to really talk to myself because I struggle with anxiety. So I have to really give myself a plan you know, to like get through the things that are hard for me. And that's where the coaching comes from for young professionals. And the thing I've learned is that to be a great leader, um, you really have to know yourself really, really, really well. And so the time and investment that I've um, given to myself in my career, just because I've been leading for so much of it, I just wanted to, to be able to hand that off. And it's very tactical coaching. We're actually launching an app next year um, that is really like, hey, do this differently when you're sitting in a meeting. You know, if, if um, women are working on confidence often, um, you know, you get women to the table now, but often they're, they don't speak and that's an inclusion problem, right? And so I'll say, okay, I want you to count how many times uh, you thought something but didn't set it. say it. Just keep a tally. Just keep a tally in a notebook of how many times you thought something but didn't say it. And then next time, next meeting you're in, I want you to say it. I want you to say at least one of those things. I also want you to count how many times you think somebody, something and somebody else says it. Just to build your confidence that you, your voice matters. You know, uh, we'll overanalyze everything as women before we speak. Um, and, and that's not happening in the room. And sort of really tactical things to sort of shift your brain out of some of the habits that don't serve you um, that were survival techniques, honestly, in systems, in these systems for some of us. And, and those don't serve us to grow our careers, uh, the things that are our comfort zones or the survival techniques. Um, I think even saying, um, uh, you know, sort of making a joke about being the only or those things, that's a survival technique and just getting in front of it, right, Mike? Like that's a survival technique. And so um, at some point that doesn't serve us. And so how do we break, break some of those apart through coaching? And I think nobody can be a great leader that doesn't know themselves. And so that's really what we try to do is help people focus on themselves, even if they just pause with the texts we send every day for, you know, 30 seconds. Like that's a little more than most people do is to spend 30 seconds on themselves and be like, ooh, am I good at that? Do I do that? Is that a bad habit of mine? Um, those types of things, just trying to keep people inspired and, and focused and moving forward while learning who they are. You know, Danielle, I, I love the, 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 the amount of experiences in so many different industries that you have. You were one of the youngest executives at Comcast, so you've been in the private sector, you're mm -hmm. the youngest executive in the state, so you're in the public sector, you've obviously been an executive in the nonprofit sector, and now you're starting up your own business. But one of the things we had talked about is just how exclusive that path to executive leadership is. Mm. And I was wondering if you had some thoughts or ideas about what you would want to see changed in those systems um, on the company side or, you know, um, in terms of how can we start changing that path? 
to accept leadership? Um, I think the uh, only statistic that's as embarrassing as our venture capitalist statistic actually might be more embarrassing because we do live in a capitalist society is around executive leadership and, um, you know, sort of the number of of, um, black women, the number of black men, the number of people of color who are in executive positions. If you look at the fortune 500 lists, it's just embarrassing. Um, And the retention rate on black executives is also embarrassing. And so even when we get there, um, the chances that we are going to stay are really, really low. So those those stats are out there, and and I think everybody needs to know them, because um, I think sometimes when we think about um, equity or um, inclusion, we don't separate and pull that data apart the way that we should in order to really understand what's happening. And I think the problem is is that for so many years, our all these industries were built on um, on employees coming in and conforming to something. Um, And like as a leader, you actually need to be able to lead in a way that's personal to you in order to be successful because being a leader is really hard. It's a lot of work. Uh, It takes a lot of, you know, focus on other people and not yourself. Um, And so you're going into a system, you're being asked to lead in the way uh, that you see other people doing it. And you're being criticized when you bring yourself into that space because it's often different than what other people have seen. I think what we do is we tell people there's this one path to success. And I think that's what we're seeing when it comes to leaders of color is that um, you're just made to feel like you're doing it wrong um, because the way that you do it based on your lived experience, which is different from most people in the room, um, is is not gonna conform to the system that wasn't built for you. It's just that simple if you think about it in, in that simple way. And I think we have to get better at letting people um, be who they are. And the other thing about leadership is, you know, the thing I think is the worst advice in the world for leaders um, of color is, you know, sort of leave your personal life at the door. And that's what you hear, you know, women, we get told that and people of color, we get told that. And I think that's the exact opposite approach. Uh, to leadership, I, you know, I will never work in a place ever again where I can't bring my whole self um, to the table because that is impossible. So what you end up trying to do is leave things at the door that actually really serve you. They're pieces of your organic self that actually will make you an amazing leader and make people connect to you and relate to you and see themselves in you. And those are the very things you're often um, criticized for. I say, you know, what's the difference between assertive and aggressive. It's your gender. So a woman can do the same behaviors that a man does and a man would be assertive and a woman would be called aggressive. And then I say, what's the difference between aggressive and anger, angry? It's your race. So a white woman can do something and be called aggressive. A black woman can do the exact same behavior and be called um, angry. And so the same behaviors coming from different people are perceived in really different ways based on the biases built into our system, which therefore are built into us as people. Um, and I don't, I don't think that we can continue to operate in this space where we're asking people to conform to a system that, that wasn't built for them. We'll continue to see the retention rates that we do. We'll continue to see the lack of um, representation in our executive leadership in this country if we continue um, to ask people to conform to something that they can't even relate to because it wasn't 
it wasn't built for them. That's not their lived experience. I'm pretty sure we were all like, okay, that was mic drop segment <laughs> right there. Like we, like, what, <laughs> where, yeah, where do we go like that? I mean, I, um, I, audience, please listen to this episode over and over again. Um, th there are some really critical things as far as why we're in the state we're in right now and how we can start to get out of it. And I think that's what's important. And so, I mean, we can't thank you enough, Danielle. This was an amazing conversation and um, we, we wanna keep having more like this yes. because yeah, like that, that it's just, I mean, I keep saying this, but Nina, Mike and, and myself, like we've just learned so much just in being able to have conversations with, with people like you from the black community leaders, um, sisters, brothers, parents, it just it's, we're all human. But there is a history here and, and there are systemic things that have been happening that a lot of people have chosen to ignore or just been taught to ignore right. and to see a very specific way. Um, I just keep trying to remind yeah. people, like I just wish we um, would stop actually focusing on the human, like on each other and start focusing on the system. Yeah. Because the second we do that, we just, I choose to believe that most people want to fix this problem. I actually believe that to be true with every part of me. It's what keeps me going every day. I believe the people have evolved in, in a lot of ways in this country, but the systems haven't evolved. And if we continue to not separate people from systems, people will be too defensive to have these conversations. These systems were set up to be working the way they're working today. That's the truth. Like that's the truth. The electoral mm -hmm. college was built, um, and is still in place today, but was built based on slavery and uh, wanting only a percentage of black voices to count. So they, they down in right. the South, we wanted black folks uh, who were slaves to be counted from a populist perspective, but not from an opinion perspective. So you've got to think about that and how that permeates the system to this day um, around our voting and whether black voices are actually a part of what um, outcomes are and why black folks are like, I don't want to vote, you know, that's a problem in the black community, but you have to think about what that's rooted in, or, you know, you can't, I can't go drop off more than 10 ballots for folks. So I can't drive around to people who may not have transportation and do more than 10 ballots. Like that's voter suppression against the black community in a very purposeful way. So if you really get under the systems and I don't even care who built them, <laughs> we're beyond that. I think people want to fix them. And what we have to do is go through the painful part of realizing how much of our systems were built to do exactly what we wish they weren't doing right now. Yeah. Ah, amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, yeah, let's keep having this discussion, please. Um, it really has been great to have you on the show, Danielle, um, part one for sure. So we'll, we'll figure out another time to come back and continue this discussion. But thank you everybody for, for continuing to listen and, and learn with us. Please share this, um, this podcast and these episodes with your family and friends, right? To, to help them sort of join this conversation. Absolutely. Thank so, you, Dan. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you, Mike. And thank me. you, Nina. And thank you for these conversations that you're having. They're so important and just, yeah, keep doing this. This is so special. Thank you, Danielle, and take care, everyone. Thanks, guys.